Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com forward slash swoopsworld. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L.com forward slash swoopsworld. You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Swoops World, right here on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Swoops World, where you get all you need to know about arts, culture, news, and happiness. Our number, if you want to give us a call tonight, is 562-912-3444. You can always email us at swoopsworld at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Once again, if you want to give us a call, that number is 562-912-3444. Now just sit back and enjoy Another edition of Swoops World on the new Talk Story Radio Network. another edition of Swoops World Late Night. It is, uh, what is it, November 25th, 2015, thank you for Thanksgiving. And uh, we got a full quick show for you tonight. We're going to have Bob Case coming on first. Uh, he's the, uh, the vice, still currently vice president of the International Boxing Association. Big SC fan, big SC supporter. And we get to chat to Bob about the, the recent fight between uh, Miguel Cotto and uh, Canelo Alvarez and, and get his take on that, as well as uh, some of the things that have been going on in the uh, the big UCLA-USC rivalry game coming up this week, and uh, you'll have a chance to chat with him about that. Then followed by, by Anthony Davis, you know, USC great, five-time national champion, uh, two-time All-American, AD regular on the show also. And we get to talk to AD about a lot of things, a host of things. Uh, he's got the new movie coming out with Will Smith on the uh, concussions, and we look forward to talking to him about that, his book, as well as his take on uh, a lot of things that have been happening in sports uh, since we were last on. So... Got a full show for you tonight, and we're going to get right to that in just a second here. We're going to uh, thank you for listening to us on uh, Talk Story Radio Network. We're going to take our first quick break, come back, get uh, Big Bob on the line, and get things rolling. This is Swoops Road on the Talk Story Radio Network. Back after this. And now we have an eight-year-old on the line. Welcome to our world today. What's your question? Our continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface meaning that 71% is comprised of water. Man automatically adapts to environmental conditions. So why do I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to mypyramid.gov. Brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. For a little ride. Now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. We gotta talk. Let's take a drive. List and promote real-time talk radio topics, or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted, and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. Well, that's what I call real drive. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. Talk Story Radio. I'm in the car next to you on the highway. 
I sit in front of you on the bus. I'm one out of every six Americans, and I'm struggling with hunger. This isn't an uncontrollable epidemic. There's enough food in this country to feed every hungry person. Please, visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank. Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for those around you, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. And we'd like to welcome uh, back to the show our good friend and colleague, Bob Case. Uh, I believe still currently Vice President of the International Boxing Association, a big, huge USC supporter, and just a good friend. How you doing, Bob? I'm doing good, uh, Keith. How's my uh, favorite disc jockey? Yeah, we're doing well, man. Doing well. Glad, glad you could join us again today, man. Yeah, honored to be here. Uh, you know, let's just jump right into it, man. Uh, first of all, uh, you and I, last time we talked, uh, the, the, we were a couple of weeks away from the uh, Cotto Alvarez fight. Uh, it came and went. Uh, your thoughts on the fight, and, and was it what you expected? Uh, actually, it wasn't, and, I, and my thoughts on it, you know, Freddie Roach put, uh, I think, a half a million dollars down on, on Cotto, and I talked to Freddie before the fight, and, you know, he was really, really, really thinking Cotto was going to win, but what we really didn't take into consideration is that Canelo has improved immensely. Now, he's still a flat-footed fighter, but he's improved immensely from uh, what he was, and the, and the, tr- the truth is, Miguel Cotto can still fight. I mean, he's still good at angles and on his feet, and he's in great shape for a guy 35 years old, and he's been in a lot of wars. But um, I think uh, Canelo is too big for him. I really do, because I think Canelo put on, you know, probably 15 pounds after the weigh-in. He's probably 165 going into the fight. And if you saw the fight, Canelo, it, it, you got the feeling that Miguel couldn't hurt Canelo. You know, and Miguel has moved up in weight, and Canelo's been at the same weight. So, you know, the old saying goes, every time you move up a class in weight from a, a junior bantamweight to a bantamweight, from a bantamweight to a junior featherweight, to a junior featherweight to a featherweight. You know, Oscar De La Hoya started off as a lightweight, and he was knocking everybody out as a lightweight. But every time he moved up, you know, to a welterweight, he, he lost his power. You lose your power when you move up in weight. So, um you know, both of them, I mean, it was a great fight because you saw two Hall of Famers fighting, and it wasn't the, uh, you know, run-and-hide tactics to the last fight we saw. And the undercard fight is up for fight of the year. This Japanese kid from Japan fought uh, this kid Vargas from Mexico for the Bantamweight World title, and it was a wonderful fight. I mean, just a great fight. The, 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 the Japanese guy was a left-hander and uh, really a good fighter. 
and he was winning the fight, and then uh, Vargas clipped him in uh, I think the tenth round, and it was over with. But I mean, no, it was it was a good evening and action packed, and I, I don't think anybody will ask for a refund from the fight. You know, I mean, <laughs> you, you know I, it, it was. Um, I thought it was going to be more. I didn't think anybody was going to walk. I thought only one guy was going to walk away, so I was wrong there. But uh, they both gave. Uh, people their money's worth. I I felt. What do you think, Keith? You know, I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get get out there and, and check it out. I didn't. I was out yeah. and about that day, and I didn't get the chance to watch it. Uh, but uh, right. you know, I've heard a lot about it. And, and you know, you, you mentioned one of the you know the last fight. Uh, did you hear the, the some of the comments that uh, Mayweather made about uh, Freddie Freddie Roach? Uh, no, I didn't. Was this recently? Yeah, uh, uh, I'm going to throw a couple of quotes at you and give me your take on it. Uh, he, was, you know, he was at the fight and he says, you know, if your coach knows you're losing in the fourth round, if that was the case, that's when a trainer needs to step up. You know, you know what? Pick up the effing pace. You're losing or eff it. Go out uh, like a soldier. Go uh, for the knockout. If you get caught, that's part of the game. Uh, and then later on, he says, uh, I hear people talking about Freddie Roach as a legendary trainer, but I think Cotto was uh, fighting the same way before he got with Freddie Roach. I think Pacquiao was fighting the same way before he got with Freddie Roach. Both guys were already world champions before they got with Freddie Roach. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are if there's anybody in the world that should be talking about getting out there and fighting, <laughs> uh, it's him, you know. I mean, this guy, this guy w- w- wouldn't exchange blows with a with a with a junior bantamweight. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, you know, no, no. He's, you know, they're just. I mean, Oscar De La Hoya said it's best. Oscar said that the sport of boxing is way better off since he retired. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, thirty nine and over, forty nine and over, big deal. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're gonna, he's a good dancer. You know, he he should be on Dancing with the Stars instead of boxing for the world championship. You know what I mean? That's my opinion, and if I were a guy like that, I'd keep my mouth shut. You know what I mean? Especially when it comes to getting into a real fight. You follow yeah. me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Now, uh, you know, we've talked about this uh, before, and um, everybody's got their own style. Uh, you know, Mayweather. He, yeah, you said he's forty at forty nine and zero. Uh, his style of boxing was not to get hit. His style of boxing was to score and move. Uh, you know, I grew up watching people get knocked out. I know the sport's changed uh, somewhat. Uh, does it take away from his accomplishments to his style? I mean, guys, guys. No, who, I, I who get all the, but get, you, you left out one thing. His uh, style of boxing was also not fighting Manny Pacquiao in his prime, waiting until he was, you know, been in all these wars. Not, in other words, not taking on the best. Uh-huh. See, the great fighters. You know, you look at the great fighters in the history of boxing. The great Eddie Futch, who was, by the way, Freddie's trainer at one time, and he trained five heavyweight champions, including. Joe Frazier and Larry Holmes. Eddie Futch said it best. He said, great fights make great fighters. In other words, if you fought a bunch of tomato cans and guys that are over the hill, even Rocky Marciano when he fought uh, you know, uh, Archie Moore and he fought Joe Lewis and he fought uh, you know, Jersey Joe Walcott, they were all over the hill. So, you know, sure, there are great names on his resume, but they were washed up. Yeah. So, you know, a guy like Evander Holyfield, or Mike Tyson, they never ducked anybody. They fought the best there was to be fighting. You know, I mean, Holyfield, you thought, there's a guy that you get your money worth when you watch him. He, I mean, he was a cruiserweight, you know, and he, and he, you know, went up to heavyweight. He shouldn't have even been a heavyweight. And, and that guy never backed down from anybody. If you look at the great fighters, I mean, Joe Frazier was, you know, barely six feet tall. 
And uh, but he never, you know, ducked, ducked anybody in the ring. And, and that's what people want. That's when you talk about Hall of Fame great fighters. And I'm not Floyd is a, was great at what he did. I, I give him the credit, but it's not something that I would want to pay another hundred dollar <laughs> fee to watch on pay per view. You know what I mean? In uh, other words, you know, a great, a great. He's, I mean, like he's a Hall of Fame fighter, no question about it. But you know, you don't rank him up there with. You know, he's going around telling people he's the greatest of all time. I beg your pardon. Wasn't there a guy named Muhammad Ali? Wasn't there a guy named Sugar Ray Robinson? Wasn't there a guy named? I mean, I could go on and on and on and name fifty fighters over there. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, uh, I don't think most boxing fans when they talk about the greatest of all time, it's like nobody argues, even Muhammad Ali, that Sugar Ray Robinson was the greatest pound for pound fighter of all time. You know, and Ali was without a doubt the greatest heavyweight of all time. You know, most people don't argue about that. Right. But uh, anyway, you know, it's just like Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston, you know, there's a guy named Hank Kaplan in Florida that was in the Boxing Hall of Fame, a historian. He's passed away now. But he used to say Sonny was the top three heavyweights of all time. The reason we don't know that, because, you know, he was working for a guy named Blinky Palermo and Frankie Carbo and a lot of funny stuff going on. You know? <laughs> so, you know, and, and so the public doesn't really know what's going on. But but he was a tremendous fighter for Sonny Liston, and uh, you know, and we'll never really know, you know, how good he was, because you know, yeah. as they say, boxing's the red light district of sports. But uh, you know, and Mike Tyson is definitely the most dominating heavyweight I've ever seen or heard of, and I've watched films of the guys I never saw in person. You know? And uh, Tyson is like was off the charts. I thought an exciting. That's an exciting fighter. Yeah. I mean, when when he fought. People were, you know, jumping up and down, and you know it was exciting to watch him, you know, because you just didn't know what was going to happen. Exactly. The uh, you know you you made mention of it, and, and uh, just it, it, boxing does have that history of uh, you know being tied to certain organizations and, and you know and certain things happening, um, but you don't hear about that as much anymore. So the the sport has is, is definitely changed over the years. Yeah, but it's still, you know, it attracts certain characters. It always has, you know. I mean, uh, you know, I used to always kid Dean Chance, you know, that guy's dealt with every guy in the world, you know what I mean? And uh, from every walk of life. And, and he had to do that, you know. To, you know, I mean, you know, let's, it's, it is what it is. It's been, the, and, they, and, you know, people always say, well, what kid in America growing up today is going to, you know, if you're a good athlete, are you going to want to be a boxer? No, you don't want to be a baseball player, a football player, a basketball player, you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want my son to box. You know, I mean, I've been in the business for a quarter of a century. I, I just wouldn't want him to box. Right. So it's like, um, you know, you, I mean, there's enough problems they're having with football concussions. So think, think about boxing. I used to tell my fighters, you know, Johnny Cappy used to tell me, he said, "Hey, Bopper, I'm going to quit when I finally get my ass kicked." And I said, Johnny, the key is to quit the fight before you get your ass kicked. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I used to tell him, I used to say, "What good is money if you can't count it?" You know? Right, exactly, so. exactly. Bob, let's uh, let's switch to your next love, man, uh, and that's a uh, that's USC football. And uh, I, you know, you and I have talked a lot, and, and we're no holds barred, uh, no holds barred on uh, on the, uh, the, the the leadership over there. I uh, was listening to a <laughs> a, 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 a audio of an interview that Pop, uh, Petros Papadakis did with uh, Fox Sports this week. Uh, actually, it was on the seventeenth, so I guess it's last week. And I'm going to give you a couple of quotes, and I want to get, get what your uh, your thoughts on this. He says, uh, 
basically says, you know, there's there's cronyism, and uh, he says, you know, there's no reason that Pat Hayden should be involved in the next selection of a coach. He says, but the problem is, he says, forget going on on the field uh, with Sark uh, and all the tiny embarrassing things. He says, but if you fire a basketball coach in February, a football coach in September, and another coach in October, he goes, no one gets to keep their job doing that in the athletic director world. He says, no other athletic director worth $100 million that has more power in uh, USC circles than has um, than the uh, president does. And he says, and the president's in charge of hiring and firing. And he says, so he carries so much power, and, and his thoughts were, um, he says, you can just look and see what's happening. He says, everybody outside of SC says the guy needs to go, uh, regardless of whatever the reason is. He says, you know, it might be health reasons because he's missed a lot of games. Uh, Petros thinks he doesn't show up because he doesn't want to get booed. But he also says that, uh, you know, the bottom line is is there he carries so much power. He says everybody outside the USC world says it's time for the guy to go for a variety of reasons. And he says, but you don't hear anything from inside the USC camp because of the amount of clout that he carries on campus. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, as, as we've discussed so many times before, Keith, um, I've always said the fish stinks at the head first. So, you know, you look at the guy that hired him, and as Ricky Ellison so well, you know, pointed out in his article, the guy that hired him, Hayden was his, was a board of trustee in his book. So this guy's got a love affair with Pat Hayden. You know right, what I mean? He's right. not going to fire him. I mean, you know, if this guy, if, there's a, if I did my job like he did, I'd be living in a tent. You understand <laughs> that? In other words, uh, this guy is uh, unbelievable, you know, what's going on there. And, it's, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And, you know, it's, it's just amazing to me that, he's, that he wouldn't even have the class to resign. You know what I mean? Right. You know, use an excuse you got health from whatever it is. Get out of there. I mean, for him to make the next hire, are you kidding me? I mean, my God. I mean, how about resigning before you screw it up even worse? You know what I mean? I mean, for, you know, with his hiring record, he needs to, uh, you know, go and become a used car salesman. You know? <laughs> well, it's, it's got to be so much ego there. Um, you know, the, the guy doesn't have the uh, the wherewithal to just step back and step down. He, you know, there was an article about him in the L.A. Times not too long ago about all the different boards he sits on. Um, oh, yeah, but those writers, you know, that I read that thing and I wanted to vomit. Yeah. Those guys just kisses. You know, there's certain people in this town that nobody will write a bad thing about. And, uh, you know, it's just all BS, you know, I mean, you know, and, and then the other thing is if, if certain people take over the job that are his people, it's like going to be like him being in charge. You know what I mean? So, right. you know, it's just they need to make a clean sweep in that whole place. And that idiot uh, sports information director saying that only hundred dollar donors don't like him. Did you read that? Comment? No, I did not I mean, read that. Yeah. Yeah. There's some sports information guy that's been there way too long saying that, uh, only hundred dollar donors don't like, uh, like him, I could make I could name you some donors that are a lot more than hundred dollar donors that have told me personally they can't stand them. So yeah. you know that guy's got his you know head up his ass. So you know the point is these people are just uh, they're all you know if you want to see who's in charge over on that campus, just see who's heads, heads up his ass. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so. It's one of those guys. If he takes if he stops too quick, there'd be a line of, a line of people shoved up there. Huh? Exactly. I mean, you know, that I mean that that kind of stuff nauseates me. You know. But it is what it is. You know, so it's like there's nothing. You know, that's one thing I've learned. There's nothing I can do to control it. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, I can just keep rooting for SC despite what, you know, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, you know, I, I do. What happened this last weekend surprised me not at all. 
you know. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I wasn't planning on him winning, you know, because I, I didn't want to upset myself by thinking they were going to win. And uh, you know, the amazing thing to me is, you know, they, they just pointed out that that defensive coordinator had he, he's a former Oregon alumnus, played football there, and he's been a defensive coordinator for six games against the University of Oregon, and the lowest points any team that he has scored that Oregon scored against his team is forty eight in six games and as many as 65. Wow. So, you know, what does that tell you? you know, that's that's his team, and everybody scored at least 48 points the last six years. Wow. That he's uh, been a defensive coordinator against. So, you know, and then, then you see these players. I mean, look, I can go right through and name them. Kevon Seymour, Seymour will be playing in the NFL. He may not go as high now as he would have because the coach is screwed. You can go... Uh, Adoree Jackson will be a first-round draft pick. Oh, yeah. Sua Cravens will be gone this year, and he'll be a first-round draft pick. Uh, that Plattenberg kid who's only a sophomore will, will be playing on Sundays. I mean, you can go through the whole backfield. They're all kids that are going to be playing on Sundays, but they're not coached. They were out of position. They were that, That's coaching when these guys are all out of position. It's coaching, pure coaching. You know, the defensive you know, line is not what they should be doing. You know, I mean, it's all these it's that is, and, and I don't. I feel sorry for Helton because, you know, I don't think he's a bad coach, but he inherited all these other guys. You know what I mean? These well, position coaches. Here's the interesting so, thing. You know, I mean, I, I hear T. Martin is a great coach, and they say Marcus Tuiasopo is a great coach. Who's he's the only one that came with Sarkisian that people you know really say is a good coach. But I mean, some of these other guys, forget about it. What happens is it's interesting because uh, you know we saw a similar situation when uh, when uh, Kiffin Kiffin left, uh, Ogeron took over, and then uh, you know after Sark left, and then Helton took over. I think Helton took over for the the bowl game that uh, Ogeron didn't coach. Also, um, the the players they you know they they come to play. I mean they got they got they got whooped on last weekend. Uh, you know they, uh, yeah. they got whooped on last weekend, but. They, you know, they, 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 they got, they had a bit of spark, you know, right after that. So there's certain coaches. Now you're the, you're the interim coach. Uh, you, you got a guy who's an athletic director who probably will not make the pick for next, the next coach. So he actually probably has a better shot of being the coach than he would if, if uh, Hayden were to stay on. But, um, you know, what, how does a, you know, how does a, how does a guy step up as interim, especially after you saw what happened to Ogeron and, uh, and really, uh, really give everything you got into it. I mean, it's got to be tough. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, here's the problem. That's another one, re- one of the reasons that guy's got to go. If you were a coach in any Division One college, would you want to come in and coach with him as the athletic director? It's interesting you I would mean, say that, Bob, because that's one of the, th- uh, the points that uh, Petros made. He said, you know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of quality coaches that would possibly be available, but none of them are going to want to work under this regime. Right. I mean, like Les Miles, the coach at the LSU, they say he might be available, and they said he'd bring Ogeron with him. But, number one, Hayden probably wouldn't have Ogeron back because of his ego, and I don't think Ogeron would want to work under that idiot. You know what right, I mean? Right. So it's like it's, it's like you, you have all these – nobody likes this guy, I'm telling you. So, you know, people don't like elitists. You know what I mean? So it's like uh, – and it's one thing if you have a reason to be an elitist. You know what I mean? But <laughs> this guy doesn't. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> Prove to me you deserve to be an ass. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I mean, no, they, they, they've got to get some, I mean, they're, you know, you talk about, I mean, think about this. Look, look what happened, look at the, look at what happened when Michigan got Harbaugh. Look, that same lousy Michigan team last year, look at them. 
Yeah. They're, they're, they're like, they should be nine and one. They barely, if they, that Michigan State punt wasn't dropped. I mean, they're fantastic. You look at what these other coaches, how they've turned these programs around. I mean, look what Leach has done at Washington State up there in, in, uh, in Pullman, Washington. I mean, are you kidding me? That Washington State team's in the top 20 now. You know, so it's like, you know, they've turned these things around, good coaching. And, uh, you know, you look, you look around, you see what's going on, and these, these coaches are, you know, a coach can turn a whole program around. And Michigan was horrible last year, and they got the same. You know, I remember looking at the team and thinking, oh, my God, they lost their uh, wide receiver last year to the NFL, and I thought, they're going to be nothing. They lost that number 98, their quarterback. Yeah. And I said, they're going to be lousy. They're terrific this year. And it's only one thing. And, and if you recall, that's the same Harbaugh that brought Stanford down to play SC in the Coliseum in the Pete Carroll heyday and brought in a Stanford team, a bunch of slow white guys, a, 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 a black quarterback named Trevita Pritchard, who was playing his first game as a true freshman. And not one of those guys went into the NFL, and they tarred and feathered the Trojans right in the Coliseum. I'll yeah. never forget it. Yeah. I said, I mean, SC must have been a 70-1 favorite in that game. I said it might be one of the more miraculous things I've ever seen. And that's when I knew Harbaugh, how, you look how important he is, you know? And you look what the guy did at Ohio State. I mean, they didn't win a game. Then he turned around and made them 10-0 and when they were on probation, or 11-0 undefeated. Then they were number one in the country last year when they yeah. lost one sister. I mean, the guys turned that whole thing around. And you see what, what goes on with good coaching. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And why a team like USC, who's like, I mean, I've always said SC and Notre Dame are like the New York Yankees and the Dodgers. Why a team like SC cannot get a good coach, I think we know why. So, you know, uh, the bottom line is, uh, you know, they're not attracted there. And, I, and they have reasons why not to be attracted to this. It's interesting that, uh, you know, you look at the top 25 and, you know, especially, you know, SC fans and, and alumni and supporters, when you don't see SC's name in, in the top 25 and you see all these teams, uh, that are, you know, long-time rivalries and, and teams that they've played against in the Rose Bowls and, 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 and BCS championships and stuff are all up there. And, uh, you know, you still have this uh, this big love affair for this athletic director. It's, it's surprising. It doesn't make sense, you know, especially from the, uh, you know, just a true fan from the outside looking in. It makes no sense to me. You're 100% correct. I mean, I was looking today at the top 25. I think there's five or six teams from the Pac-12 in there, and there's no SC in there. You know, there's UCLA. There's the Washington State Cougars. There's, uh, I mean, uh, Stanford. There's uh Oregon, there's, I mean, there's all these teams at UCLA. I mean, they're unbelievable, and there's no SC in there. Yeah. So, and SC's got probably better talent than any team in the Pac-12. So, what does that tell you? I mean, all these, they've had the top, the top one or two recruiting classes in the country the last two or three years. You know, so it's like, it's just a, a, a calamity of, um, you know, you, you can, I mean, if, and that's what I've told you before, Keith, on this program. If there's anybody in the country that should know how important assistant coaches is it's the guy running the show over there i mean john mckay didn't even barely talk to half the players but they love margu they love dave levy they love craig Fruitig. these were position coaches that were like their men and and i've always said and mckay was an unbelievable delegator delegating authority he was terrific at that so you look you you see what i mean mckay was fantastic i mean if you look back at what he did he was a terrific coach. People respected him. You know, he had great assistant coaches. 
you know, I mean, he had a great athletic director and Jess Hill and the other guy that was there after him. I mean, you know, great stuff going on over there then. So right. you look and you and you see. Um, I mean, I unfortunately, I guess that means I'm long in the tooth, but I've been around long enough to see all these different regimes and see the players and how they reacted to the coaching staff. And you know, I mean, these poor players at SC. What do you think they must think? What do you think they must think? I mean, I've told you things off the air that some this, some of these coach, assistant coaches have said to players. Yeah. You know that are I, I wouldn't even repeat them on the air. You know, it's unbelievable what I've heard. And what I want my son playing under these guys, no. In fact, this one kid, what, what some coach said to him, I, I'm surprised the kid didn't knock him out. If it had been me and I was a player there, and he, a coach said that to me when I heard he said to this kid from about five different people, I would have knocked the guy out. Yeah. So, you know, the bottom line is, um, you know, especially a kid that's not going to go in the NFL. He's just an average kid playing over there. But uh, the bottom line is, uh, it is what it is, you know, and these players are – you know, they're, they, 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 I mean, you see a coach, like we saw at the Salute to Troy, that's your leader? That's your leader? Yeah. Leading a hundred young men into the battle, the war, and trying to teach them how to not only act on the football field, but how to deal with life and be, become men and, and become responsible citizens. And you see a show like that, and you see no, no, uh, not, you know, a player does one thing wrong in their kick. Josh Shaw last year. I had something in a you know hotel, and they kicked him off the team for yeah. almost the whole season. Right. And a coach does something like display like that in public, and uh, incidentally, Josh Shaw's playing in the NFL now. But a coach like that does something like that in public, and no discipline. Well, not only that, and then they finally fire him because he he shows up drunk to practice in the games. I mean, come on, what do you think? The, what do you think these kids? They're not stupid. These kids are highly intelligent. Yeah. You know, and you know they come from all walks of life. But what do you think they're thinking? You know, and then they see this poor Helton come in there, and Helton's done. I, I think he's done a good job considering what he's had to deal with. Oh, I absolutely. really do. Absolutely. I mean, it's like he was—he was like named the captain of the Titanic right after the iceberg. Thing, you know? <laughs> I mean, uh... <laughs> well, you, one of the one of the other interesting things is is that you know the the the, the salute to Troy. That was just icing on the cake. I mean, the guy. The, from what I'm hearing from all sorts of sources and stuff. That was no surprise to a lot of people. That just was just hey, now now everybody has gets to see what we've been seeing all along. So, that, yeah. you know, it's 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 a shame that uh, uh, they got that far. And you're right, uh, as a, as a parent or even as a, as a as a student athlete, you you don't want to you don't want to deal with something like that. You want to go out there, no. have somebody you respect and, and play and play. Absolutely. For. I mean, I feel. So, I mean, there are so many great USC fans at Fuller Coliseum and. You know, people that just have grown up on the SC brand of football, which it is a brand. And I feel sorry for them that they're getting this, you know, putting in their face, you know, all this stuff. You know, that's, that's not something that college, this is stuff you hear about, you know, you know, it's like watching a soap opera. This should be college football, college, clean, yeah. cheerleaders, song girls, alumnuses. You shouldn't be hearing about stuff like this in college football, in my opinion. Uh, you might hear it in the NFL where guys are going to jail and raping broads and all that. But this is college football. You, and, and, and anytime I'm reading more about the athletic director and I am the players, there's something wrong. Oh, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. The, uh, the the big rivalry game this weekend. Uh, what what are you what are you looking for there? Well, you know, I was talking to actually somebody very close to SC, and we were talking about football is very much like boxing, and I'll tell you why, Keith. Styles make fights. Now, nobody could figure out like Ken Norton had Muhammad Ali's number. You know, he'd be in, you know, he broke his jaw and, and 
they fought three times a trilogy and two of the fights, all three of them were very close. Yeah. And people said, Tim Norton and Killa. And Styles, he had an awkward style. You know, you, you have certain guys that have awkward And Oregon has Essie's number, and they have had with the, with that offense they throw. I mean, that Adams kid threw six touchdown passes against him. Yeah. But, you know, I think SC is more suited for UCLA, almost like they were more suited for Utah. You saw what they did against Utah. Mm-hmm. UCLA, now, I believe, and I was told this by somebody very close to SC, that they need to bull rush that Josh Rosen kid. Just, you know, in other words, the only way they can't let him just sit there and pick him apart. You know what I mean? They're going to have to put some heat on him, and it's going to have to come from Sewer Cravens and you know some of those defensive linemen. Uh, they're going to have to really uh, go after him. I, that's what I think. Yeah. You know, and you know, but I think it, I think it'll be a, a pretty close game. I really do. And you know, I, I'm getting so Keith. I love SC so much. I don't want to think they're going to win because I know I'll be disappointed. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I'm going. I, I, I just go into it thinking, oh, I hope they give them a good game, and then I'm not disappointed that they lose. You know, but I, you know, this will be the, this is the, you know, Jim Moore hasn't lost, hasn't beat, hasn't uh, lost SC. This will no. be his fourth game against SC, and that's the other thing. If SC had UCLA's coaching staff, I believe they'd be undefeated. I really do. And uh, even if they had Clancy, Pendergrass, and Ned Ogeron, I think they might have no more than one loss right now instead of four. Yeah. So you know, it's just uh, it is you know it's. But I think it'll be a great game. I mean, the rivalry games are. What do you think? What do you think about that? Game? You know, I love rivalry games. I, I, you know, when you talk about college football, I think college football is, is yeah. probably the greatest sport on earth. Um, I but agree. Uh, you know, rivalry games—they're they, such a toss-up, yeah, and they're they're exciting to watch. Uh, and I, I, mm-hmm. I think everybody gets up for them. This this Rosen kid, you know, for a freshman, he just seems to never get rattled. I've seen him take some some hits and you know he gets back up there and he gets back out and you know he doesn't seem to get rattled uh, i think sc has the potential to be to beat anybody they step on the field with each week but uh you know sometimes certain teams show up they didn't sh- you know they didn't they looked like they were going to start off good against oregon and then uh, i don't know what happened right. in that game so um like you i don't know what to expect i, I want to see a great game uh i get tired of seeing sc lose to ucla it's like i used to there was that, that period of time where they couldn't beat Notre Dame for, I don't know, eight, nine years, something like that. So it's. It was exactly. I, I, it's, UCLA beat SC nine times in a row. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just hoping it's a, I'm hoping it's a great game. I hope it's not a, uh, not a, not a blowout if uh, they lose. And I hope it is a blowout of if course. they win. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You know, it's, you know, I mean, SC's got the potential. I mean, you know, I had a guy tell me that was in the NFL for years. He told me, that this this Juju Smith might be the toughest football player he's ever seen, and oh, uh, you know this kid is absolutely a gamer. I mean, you know, you've got some kids that will sit out for a year with a turf toe. You know, this kid is, you know, he's, he broke his finger. He played play with a cast on for two or three games. He's done, you know, he's done everything you could ask of an athlete. He's a Long Beach Poly kid, and he's, you know, I think he's half Samoan and half black. Great kid, just a wonderful kid. But he is a gamer, man. He's a baller. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, this kid is. I, I hope he makes all American this year. He's just been. He's played with a sprained leg, you know, sprained ankle. He's played with a, you know, a, a cracked rib. He's played with his with his hand broken. He had. A, he played in the cast for three games. Yeah. yeah. 
So sure. he hobbles uh, off the field, and uh, then he's back out there uh, running Absolutely. a pattern. You know, <laughs> I mean, he's off the charts. He's really off the charts. I mean, and you know, you know, this time of year they they talk about injuries. Everybody has injuries, especially this time of year. I mean, UCLA's lost that Jack kid, the linebacker. They've lost Vanderbilt, oh, yeah. the defensive lineman. They lost one of their number one defensive backs. They lost a couple offensive linemen, and SC has lost. You know, they lost Cameron Smith, that true freshman that was just kicking the tar. You know, the guy had three interceptions against Utah. I mean, they, they had so many good players they've lost. You know, they've lost Lamar Dawson, number 55. He's out for the season. You know, they've. I mean, Trey Madden hasn't played for the last three games, you know. So so they're not at full strength, and they've lost receivers. Whitney, one of their wide receivers, is out. And Juju, I mean, and Stephen Mitchell was hurt. So, you know, I think they're they're going to be in a little better strength this time. And I just pray that Kessler has, that'll be his last game in the Coliseum. I hope he has a great game. Excellent. Kessler's a nice kid. And, you know, he's, he's kind of had his hands handcuffed this year, but I think he's going to have a good future. And I hope he goes out, you know, beating UCLA. Good. Last but not least, I know, I know you, I know you follow baseball. I know you're a baseball fan. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the Dodgers a little bit ago and they're looking at a new, uh, a new manager, but I, I want to ask you the question about, a. a, a, a uh, an interview I heard a part of, and uh, it was uh, Andy Van Slyke uh, getting interviewed. And his son, you know, Scott plays for the Dodgers, and you probably know yes. Andy. You probably know Andy when he played back in the day. Yes, he had he an interest- for the Pirates. Yeah. yeah, he said he said uh, they asked him, you know, what what's going to go on with the Dodgers? What do you think is going to happen? And he said, well, it's always going to be interesting when the highest paid player on the team goes into management and says. You need to get rid of Puig, and then the the guy I forgot who was interviewing him said, "Oh, so and so." He says he's not the highest paid. He said, "Wait, wait, Kershaw's the highest paid." And then Andy said, "I didn't mention any names. I'm just telling you that the highest paid player went into management and said you need to get rid of Puig." Right. Uh, you know, Puig's a talented guy, but uh, you know, you've all, we've heard all kinds of stories about whether or not he's a team player and his club, you know, the clubhouse uh, right. issues. Um, do you think that uh, you think Puig's going to be uh, be around next year? Do you think there's going to be a lot of big well, changes in the off season? I mean, I've I've met Puig a few times, and he seems like a nice kid to me. But he's still a kid. He's still a kid, you know. And you got to understand, these kids from Cuba, they don't they don't have the fundamentals that American ball players come in. So they come in here, you know. I mean, I, I remember Pedro Guerrero when he was with the Dodgers. He didn't even know how to slide, and he's a great player, Pedro. Yeah. But he didn't know how to slide. They here, kids grow up learning the cutoff man, learning, you know, the hit and run, learning how to do this, learning how to do that. And the Puig didn't have those. He, he's a great talent, you know, and a great, and people might think he's a showboat or something, you know, but, you know, I, I, I understand that there's a few players down there that don't like him, you know, so if he's a catch in the clubhouse, maybe you're going to have to get rid of him, you know, yeah. but um, he's, he, I can just tell you, I always judge people how they treat me. He's always been real nice around me and, uh, you know, uh, just a nice kid. And, uh, you know, I, they hired this Dave Roberts as their manager. And I think he, I've heard nothing, I've never heard a negative word about him. Everybody likes him. And that's a plus. You know, he's uh, he's a wonderful kid, and he's the first black manager the Dodgers have ever had, which is good. And, um, you know, um, I, and he's, you know, he, you know, he's played in the big leagues. He played for the San Diego Padres. He played for the Dodgers. And he played for the Boston Red Sox in their World Series year. So the bottom line is, um, I think he'll, I think he's a very good choice. I, I hope that Freeman and these guys, you know, they haven't made some good choices, like when they traded Pete Gordon away at second base, who, by the way, this year led the National League in hitting, was second in stolen bases and won the Gold Glove Award. 
Nobody mentions a word about it. Yeah, he was their second baseman, <laughs> yeah. D. Gordon. But uh, he's 25 years old. D. Gordon and, was. Uh, a, he, I watched him play a lot uh, before they got traded. The guy is an amazing ball player. He hustled every minute oh, that he was out there, and how they let him get away is beyond me. <laughs> I'm still shaking my head. Over it. But but uh, you know these. You know what they say. It's all this sabermetric stuff. The game has changed. See, I mean. You know, I, a lot of people said Mattingly wasn't even running the teams. They were telling from upstairs who to play and what, how to push the cutoff and this and that. You know, it's all sabermetrics. And, you know, and I haven't seen a sabermetrics team win a World Series yet. Exactly. Look, that was up. what I was just getting ready to say. I mean, you know, and yeah. I, I heard the same thing about Donnie Baseball. Uh, and I guess the Dodgers, the powers that be, they're really big on that, and it's one of the reasons they went with the, the new uh, the new uh, manager because he's he's a big Absolutely. believer in it. But like you said, not one has ever won the World Series. That's exactly. I mean, if you look at the guys, Bruce Bochy has won three out of five World Series in three out of five years. You know, he's an old school manager. Jim Leland was an old school manager. The guy that was with the Phillies for years, Charlie Manuel, was an old school manager. You know, tobacco chewing, you know, the, the, just a tough old guy, ex ball players, and the guy that won the World Series this year, you know, yeah. is, you know, uh, was, is an old school guy. You know what I mean? So it's like you look, you, and then there's the other managers that are like, like doing everything they tell them from upstairs, and I haven't seen any of them do too good, you know? So. Yeah. I think you get. I mean, can, can you imagine Casey Stingle having Del Webb or Dan Poppins say, uh, we, "We want you to take uh, Mantle and put him at catcher," you know, or uh, we, we, we want you to take Yogi Bear out and put in Johnny Blanchard? He would have you know, both. Oh yeah, <laughs> Bob. As always, man, it is it is is an honor and and just a great time to have a chance to chat with you. And, and and talk 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 these things and and, and you know, bounce things off you and, and I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Well, I appreciate you having me, and and I, I also love the fact that you're a uh, you know a uh, USC fan. So and we're on the same boat, and we hope they can we hope they can pull it off this weekend. Yeah, man, because I'm tired of uh, shoveling water out of the thing, out of this thing. Because keep it above, keep it above. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> you are 100 percent right. But God bless and have a happy Thanksgiving to you and all your uh, listening audience. All right, you too, Bob. Thanks a lot, man. Okay, Take God care. bless, Bob Case. Everybody, uh, always a good time talking to Bob. He's always got plenty, of, plenty of thoughts, and uh, just a fun guy to, to chat with and, and to hang with. We're gonna take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back with uh, get our good friend Anthony Davis on the line. Oh, let's see what we got here. This is the Wicked Saints. This is Life in 72. Back after this.
You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Hello, this is Normandy Wilson, and you're listening to Snoop's World. And welcome back to Snoop's World on the Talk Story Radio Network. I give our good friend Anthony Davis a call here, and uh, let's see what happened with that. There we go. Good evening. I'd like to welcome back to the show our good friend, colleague, five-time national champion, two-time All-American, played in the NFL, the USFL, the CFL, our good friend, Anthony Davis. How you doing, AD? I'm doing Okay. Always a good chance to have a chance to talk to you, man. We just had a, a, a fellow you know on the line, uh, Bob Case, and uh, yeah. Bob's always fun to ha- have a chat with. And uh, now it's time to talk to you. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> following Bob, I mean, you know, I guess that's something. <laughs> There's plenty to talk about. You and I haven't had a chance to chat for a few weeks on on the air, so uh, let's start off with. Uh, you know, you've been big into the, uh, you know, a big advocate of uh, doing things for the NFL players with concussions uh, and, and getting properly treated and prevention matters. There's a movie coming out. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a bit. But the big news today was uh, Frank Gifford, uh, Hall of Famer, uh, and I think he's a Hall of Famer as a broadcaster, too, also. Uh, but uh, he passed away earlier this year at the age of, I believe, 84. But apparently he uh, he showed signs of a CTE. Well, here's the deal. You know, I, I was talking to a, a gentleman back east today by the name of Bob Fitzsimmons, and uh, it's really funny. I was talking about to him that I thought maybe I might have CTE in lower levels a year ago, but I had no clue, and I was always concerned One of the, if, if you can find and diagnose CTE in the living and they said the only way you can find CT is in the, in the dead, and uh, and 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 that's not true. And uh, I think eventually the test will become showing that you can detect CTE while you're living. And of course, you know guys like Frank Gifford and the, and the Johnny Unitas's and the John Mackeys. Uh, I'm sh- and I'm sure John Mackey and, and Johnny Unitas had the same thing that Frank Gifford had. So. Since that was since that's been identified, it wouldn't surprise me. But I believe the guys are walking around with CTE, CTE now in while they're living, and, uh, and I'm sure. And this and this story's not going away; it's just going to build and build and build. One of the questions I have, AD, and obviously it, the the amount. Uh, the, the degree is going to be more for people who played uh, contact sports where they had a lot of uh, uh, head trauma. You know, I talked to a, a doctor once uh, who had worked in the coroner's office for a number of years and basically said, no matter who who dies or when they die or how they die, uh, if they've lived long enough, they have some form of cancer in their body. Cancer may not have killed them. Uh, it might not have been it might not have been fatal. But there are signs of cancer in, in, in the body. You just, it's just one of those things that uh, occurs over a period of time. I wonder, is, is there, is not to the extent that you find in football players, but do you think everybody has a little bit of evidence in that uh, at the time of death? Well, first of all, I mean, just from a novice standpoint, I'm not a doctor, just based on being around and hearing the talk and the lingo 
and being around Dr. Amen and taking the supplement programs and the scans and everything. It all boils down to genetics, and everybody's different in each body. So I'm sure there's something in the body, something in the body that could be fatal. It's just genetically how you're made up and how your immune system is, from my novice understanding, is that, yeah, yeah there's something inside you that's going to be fatal. But, I mean, if, you, if, if you're abusing your body through football, which is what's meant for the body anyway, or boxing, what is not meant for the body anyway, or MMA fighting and all this kind of stuff, then also unfortunate things like chemotherapy, you know, when you have cancer, which which damages the brain, or severe uh, anxiety, which damages the brain, there is something with inside of us. I believe that it, can, it triggers to us to, to a fatal situation, or we can still. We have some people like Frank, who live a long life into his 80s. Who knows if he didn't have this brain trauma and CT, he might have lived in his 90s. Yeah, so, yeah, and and I, and I understand. That. And I just my my you know, my, my thought is. Um, like I said, people who, who like you, the, all those sports you mentioned, they're taking s- severe pa- uh, head trauma on a daily basis because that's their career. Uh, but we all have got bumps on the head uh, over the years and, and this, that, and the other. And I wonder, is, is does, does everybody, because, you know, we're hearing a lot of things now that oh, so-and-so had uh, CTE, so-and-so had CTE. And I wonder, is that something that's going to show up in most people, or is it just going to show up in people who have actually done the repetitive the repetitiveness uh not just uh you know falling off the bike once or twice or not just you know the the headbutt once or twice but it does it, it, it take a, a significant amount significant amount of repetitive brain trauma again from from my a novice standpoint mm-hmm. what i've learned over the years of taking my supplements from dr amen i believe the repetitive hitting you will find you you would find common sense for me, you will find CTE within their brain. Now, there's going to be different situations where you're going to find people who normally who had maybe some brain trauma falling accidentally, whatever, and you might find levels of it there. But I believe now, after talking to to, uh, uh, Frick Simmons and Dr. Amen and, and, and what I've already known and learned, that CTE is definitely going to be in that boxer's brain. It's definitely going to be in that football's brain or that soccer player's brain or or or, or any of those what that have constant collisions all the time. Right. If it's repetitive, I believe at the time of death or just old age and just dying of natural causes, they go that far, you're going to find levels of CT, CTE in there. And, some, and it varies from player to player and sport to sport. That, that's my common sense thing on this. You would have to talk to doctors and uh, <laughs> guys like Amen and Dr. Bennett O'Malo, who, who, who discovered CTE. So that's it. But, but I think that I'm one of the rare voices from the sport of repetitive hitting that's been really voicing itself on this. And with my book out, uh, Kickoff Concussion, it demonstrates that, that through my brain scan and what my diagnosis was through Dr. Amen of an 85-year-old brain, and where I am now from when he diagnosed me, I see the difference, I feel the difference, but it varies in my body from the next guy. But but like I was telling uh, Bob Frick Simmons today, I said, look, you got guys running around talking about they never had a concussion. Right. I said, wait a minute, anytime you put a helmet on your head, you got brain trauma. You might not have been diagnosed, but you have, you got something up there. And if you play 10, 15 years and you say you never had a diagnosed concussion, 
then you're smoking something because there's some damage there. No one escapes it. Speaking of that, did you see this uh, situation with the uh, Rams uh, case Keenum uh, over the weekend? Uh, the guy was obviously, obviously uh, got rocked, uh, was showing signs of concussion, and then the announcers were saying on the sidelines and whatnot, and and they uh, they had they didn't need do the, they didn't do the protocol. Uh, I saw and I saw a, co- a collegiate game. I believe it was uh, the Oklahoma game with uh, oh god, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of the quarterback's name right this second. But uh, he was obviously. I mean, he he was out. He had a head helmet to helmet. He indicated he had you know got a good shot to the head. He was closing his eyes and and, open, and you know reopening him. Uh, they took him out for a play. Uh, he went down on, on the next drive and played. And at halftime, they went in the thing, and he came back out without his helmet. They, they did the protocol over the halftime. You know, so we talk about the, the game being changed, and sometimes we complain about all the things that are put in place. But then you see you miss two real obvious situations where, where the protocol should have jumped right up, and these guys should have been evaluated and taken out of the games right away. You know, what is the reason for that? I mean, you you, see, you think that the obvious, I mean, if, if the novice spectator can spot it, surely the medical professionals on the side of, on the sideline should be able to spot this. First of all, when he bounced his head off that turf and he couldn't get up. Yeah. And one of his fellow linemen came tried to get him up. That's when the doctor should have been on that field. And he should have been out of that game. Now, here's the thing that I thought about after I saw the collision and how he hit his head. He didn't get hit in the head. He, he got thrown to the turf, and he hit his head. Right, That was the other uh, Rams guy, yeah. Right. For well, what I thought right away, I said, okay, now if he's in this game and they don't take him out, what if he gets another shot to the head? That could have killed him. Okay, so all I'm saying, and I'm not, you know, I mean, if, if, if it could have been a force hit almost as, as, as devastating as that, he could have been hit. That could have been fatal. So I'm just saying – the NFL should be concerned because when that guy hit that turf, he should have never been in that game. And, of course, now they're admitting the fact that they did not observe him properly. And they're right. That's one thing they got right. That man should never been on that football field. And anybody. And I, and I, think, and I think this past weekend, uh, I think they had nine concussions diagnosed in the game from around the league. But if you got nine concussions around the league on top of what you saw this quarterback with the Rams, that means other guys who had some trauma there that just never was diagnosed were still in the game who probably had a concussion. How many of those guys are walking around now? Well, that's that's the thing because you know I, I, we're talking about uh, not not only the NFL. Uh, I'm talking you know I watched a couple of collegiate games, and and like I said, if if I can identify it on TV, you know from the sidelines. Uh, you, you have medical professionals on the on the uh, right there with them, looking them in the eye. Whether you saw the hit or not, you could just look at the you, you could see the guy you know, uh, coming off the field. Uh, Baker Mayfield for uh, Oklahoma Sooners. Um, you know, it, it was obvious. It was obvious, and I'm thinking, what what are they missing here? You know, how are they missing this? Well, I don't know how they, I don't know how they missed the Ram game in Oklahoma, saying that that guy should never play either. But here's here's the issue. When you got a helmet that you're putting on from youth to the National Football League, the trauma starts once you put that helmet on. And you, you can't hide this stuff now. It's so obvious with the movie coming out. 
the people, the old models of the world, the Amons of the world, and everybody else that that believes in what these two gentlemen have done for the trauma, the trauma of a brain. You, you would think they would have everybody's attention. Okay, that's the reason why Dr. Amon, with his supplement, with his comprehensive supplement program, which every player should be taking his supplements, hyperbaric chamber, and even and it'll graduate them into retirement where they already have a program. Look, I'm not about, I'm, I'm not an advocate of abolishing football, but if you're gonna have football, you better you better have the warning signs. You better talk about the consequences of brain trauma. And then, oh, by the way, National Football League, if you're, going, if you're going to have the brand the National Football League, if these guys are going to build your brand, you should take care of the brand and take care of the guys who made the brand. So if you know this, this, is a, this, if you know this kind of blunt force action on a football field can lead to damage down the road, you should take care of them with lifetime medical and let them know what they can do to help and live some kind of quality of life. That's what I want to see. Now, a lot of people say, man, that's unbelievable. And see, the more the talk comes out about these guys dying and these guys can't focus and, and hearing about all these players that are having trouble retiring, and not even before you even get to the professional ranks. You got guys that have probably just finished college ball and have issues. So you got youth, you got high school, you got college, and you got the National Football League. And the guys who get to, and the guys who get to the National Football League, they've been playing ever since they were youth. That's unbelievable. So if you if, if you take like Mike Webster played in the National Football like 17 years, right? That means okay, you got four college. That's 21, and then if you get to youth, that's maybe 25 years if he played. 25 years of football, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. So how does your brain sustain something like that and that kind of trauma? I mean, if you're going to hit your head enough, there's going to be issues. Now you look at a boxer; they don't have a repetitive like that as a football every week. But look what the box, look what does to them over a period of time. You can always look at a boxer's eyes and his reaction years after he retired or whatever, or just after he retired, and you can see the effects of him. I grew up with a Bobby Chacon, lightweight champion world. I saw him. I know how he reacts. I knew Muhammad Ali. I see how, look at Muhammad Ali today. And all these other places. Joe Frazier. You see, so, so, so across the board, I've seen it all. Right. I've seen it all. I've heard it all. Everything. I have a female friend who, who, from 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 the chemotherapy, what it does to a brain, right, and what it does to a female, and what it does to. So, if chemotherapy can do it, you can you can you can imagine what the hits we're going to do. Because you got to remember, if, if if you put if you put Jello in a bottle, and you start shaking that Jello, that's how your brain responds to a hit. Right. You just shake it. You know, you just you just you just you just shake. If you just shake shake a bottle of coke, that's what your brain's doing. When you get hit. Do you think that the the attention that uh, concussions are getting? And I want to talk to you about some other rules uh, in the sports, though. But do you think that the attention that the the concussions are getting? You got the movie coming out. Your books out. Uh, that the NFL has, uh, we, we, we know, I know based on uh, a documentary I saw uh, when I saw you speak at SC, um, that the, the, the NFL has really been fighting against this over the years. Have, have they changed their stance now, uh, you know, by putting these little, these things in place? And, and is, or is this just window dressing? Well, 
I really don't know whether it's winter dressing or not. Whether how they handle it or not is, is becoming a real issue. The more the studies they do and the more how they extend CTE, what it really does in the living and the dead, I believe there's no way that he can't, they can defend. They've got to ride with it and try to, and, and try to agree with the medical professionals on the situation, especially the findings with Dr. Bennett O'Malo and gentlemen like him and the Dr. Amons of the world who are out front advocating this. They're going to have to deal with it because it's already a medical journal about CTE. And then also when they find out that the, in the living with CTE, that's going to be a very a big wake-up call. And whether they admit it or not or want to deal with it, that's on them. But I believe that you can deny it and everything else and, and say it's hocus-pocus kind of stuff. You can't be because it's, it's, too, it's too many guys have died that we don't even know of that had the same situation. And, and the more they have the, these autopsies on these former athletes who've died and they find CTE, they're going to have to deal with that. And when they find out they have levels of CTE in the living, that's where they're going to be open up a, a can of worms. And I believe that their protocol is going to be different on how they deal with athletes after, after every football season. I think they're going to have to do a neurologist. Uh, uh, they're going to have to do a scan on these guys. I believe they should do a scan on these guys every year. I think it should be a doctor there doing a scan on these guys. I know it might be expensive, but the bottom, if you want to protect this league, you know how to, you got to put warnings out. Well, this you know, can be this is detrimental. This is detrimental to you down the road. And, and I and I understand that the league they make so much money. I mean, these are the richest men collectively in the world. And I believe that they should take care. Of, if they if you're taking care of the brand, take care of the guys who made the brand. That's why I say they need lifetime medical, from the brain to the toe. That's what they need. That's what I, I think that's what they owe to them. And like I said, me as a former player, I'm not trying to abolish the game. I'm just saying, hey, do you hear consequences in the game? But also, you take care of these guys who help build your brand. Well, here's a question I that's have for you. That's all I have to say. Here's a question I have for you, AD, and you, you, you make a good point. And you said, you know, you think that they should be, if there's a, if there's a way to test this in the living, they should probably get scanned every year. Now, let's talk about the ramifications of that. The, the players' association is probably not going to want to do that because guys are going to say you're going to be t- you possibly can take away my livelihood. I feel healthy enough to play. I understand the risks. I want to continue to play. I don't want to be dictated by a scan that you know that, that I'm taking every year. Uh, you know, I do my regular physical like I'm supposed to every year. I don't want the, the, this to happen. Do you think the players' association is going to take that stance, or the players' association is going to take the stance of we want to protect our players? And if a guy's only going to get two seasons out and then determine that the, he's coming down with this uh, CTE and he shouldn't play anymore, then so be it. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. There's already it's a comprehensive supplement program out there through Dr. Amon. He's the only one in the country that has what he has. What, I, what we're advocating, and I know he advocates this, if you're going to play the game and you're going through this blunt trauma, you should be on the supplement program and you should be with a hyperbaric treatment as well. That's part of That's part of rehab all the time. I mean, you're doing it for your knee. You're doing it for your shoulder. I mean, your, your shoulder can end your career. Your knee can end your career. But your brain definitely can end your career. And then, then if the brain is damaged from that on, you're going, to be, you're going to be messed up the rest of your life. What if you got three kids? You wouldn't be able to stand and play with your kids. So all I'm, all, all, all I'm saying, you can play. And, and, the re, and one of the pressures these guys have is the money's so great now. They probably rationalize their minds and say, wow, 
I'm making five million a year. Where am I going to get that kind of money outside? I'll take the risk. So if I do have an issue with my brain, I'm going I'm to try to get as much as I can that I can get out. But then the risk you'll take, you might be 20, you might be 35, 40 years old and don't know your name down the road time you're 45. If that's the risk you want to take, that's what it needs to be advocated, period. And, and, and if you do get your brain scanned and they say, well, hey, man, you got, because everybody's head is different, everybody's body's different, and they say, hey, you know, you have high levels of this. If they prove that they have a public test, which I think is already there, if they prove that you, they can do that and it can happen, then it's going to be some consequences. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. And if not, they said, well, here's the issue. If you want to continue to play, you're at your own risk. Now, I would believe that the NFL, the NFL should embrace that type of logic. If you're already shown, okay, here's your brain. This is where you are now. You want to continue to play? You can if you want. But it won't be our liability. But then when you come out, you should be have medical attention. You come out. So it's got to be a one. It's got to be a two-way street with them. Okay, and, and, and the greater you are as a player, the more you're doing for the league, they should take care of you when you leave the game. Whether you play two years or twelve years, that's 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 what I'm saying to you. Now, if the player association doesn't want to adapt that kind of that, that kind of thing, well, you're selling the players out too because you're not protecting them. So therefore, you go you're gonna play nine years. Your brain is blown out. You don't know your name. Time you're 45. Where's the player association going to be then? They're going to be concerned about the guys on the field, right? Not the guys that are retired. I think uh, I think that uh, you know like, uh, that's just that's just something I'm throwing out there. I haven't heard anything one way or the other. I just think that you know at times at times it seems like you know what 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 unions do. They do on behalf of the person who's there now lots of times. And lots of times they're not thinking about the long term. You know, you know they'll come and say, well, we need, we, need to, we need, you know, raises every so many years. We need this percent so many years. Uh, we need to have adequate medical compensation for this, that, and the other. But lots of times they don't think long term. And when you talk about something like this, uh, where, you know, you play five years, and as you said, you know, five years of professional football, you've probably been playing close to 20 years of football and taking the same hits, uh, increasing in, in violence every year. Um, they're, they're not thinking about, well, what we need to do for your long-term care. And that's why I, I, I threw it out there because lots of times, you know, guys will say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm well capable of making a, 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 a well-thought-out decision right now and regardless of what you think is happening to me now, I'm healthy enough to play, and I want to continue to play. And I think sometimes I think the the, the union will say, "Hey, if he if he's he's capable of playing, and why are you taking away his livelihood?" Even though you and I know the long term effects could be very very detrimental. Absolutely, you got guys in the league now has got five six concussions. You know, I mean, one guy who just left the game had eleven concussions. You don't think he's not going to have problems when he comes down the road shortly? I mean, come on. I mean, you got reality is reality. I mean, and everybody's got trauma. So, I mean, uh, look, they take care of everything else but the head. Yeah. They do. Yeah. They got operations for ACL. They got operations for your neck. They got operations for your shoulder, your fingers. <laughs> they can amputate your finger. They can amputate your hand by doing some crazy stuff. You still go out and play. 
I mean, but the most important thing is the head of the snake. If the head of the snake ain't healthy, you know, it's going to slow everything up. I think. And I wouldn't trust me. If you have four or five, if you have four or five concussions, there's going to be some effects with where your normal life on and off the field. What, uh, and, and, and it, affects, it affects guys different times. It can affect them while they're playing, right after they get out of the ball, five years down the road, ten years down the road. But 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 the, but it's in the brain, and it's, and the brain is deteriorating, regardless. What we know is uh, concussions now, and like you said, you're talking about a guy who might have had eleven concussions and stuff like that. You're just we're not discounting, but we're we're forgetting, or, or people aren't remembering. When I was playing as a kid and growing up and playing through high school and, and, and playing in, in, the, in college and stuff, what, what's known as concussions now uh, were probably when they said, oh, yeah, he got his bell rung. He got his bell rung. You know, when a guy comes off the field all cloudy and stumbling and whatever, and they say, yeah, have a seat over there, you know, follow my finger. What happened to Joe? He got his bell rung. Well, we know now those were those were serious serious injuries that, yeah. You know. Give you some smelling salts. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, so that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I told you, the reason why I wasn't part of the lawsuit in South Nashville because it's the, the base, the basis of that because I was drafted. I was the number one draft choice in baseball in high school. I made a mistake. What I know now, I'd have never touched that football field. Never. Ran into this guy that drafted me. He said, "Man, you'd have played twenty years in the, ma- in the major league and maybe possibly been in the Hall of Fame, based on how he assessed my talent." He gave me ultimate, uh, ultimate, ultimate uh, uh, confidence. Saying he was, a, I was the best talent he ever scouted. Wow! And I, and don't you think I don't think about that? I mean, so that's one of the reasons I had a choice. I mean, I had a choice. Right. I was fortunate to be able to. I was a high school American in two sports. A top draft choice in baseball at seventeen, and I chose to go to USC and play football. And my, even my coach in baseball at USC, Rod Dato, 11-time national champion, I was on three of his titles, told me, he said, he goes, Tiger, you're a good foot, great football player, but your future's in baseball. And I don't care about the fanfare, but I'm just telling you, you're a great baseball player, and that's where you should go. I didn't listen. I was too much and tied up with the, the, all the glitter and glitz and the money, and that's what I need. But, but. And that's just one I want. I just want to tell dual athletes who have the ability to play both sports. I'm going baseball or basketball. We talked. We talked about uh, you know all the all the concussion stuff, and we kind of touched on the book and the movie. The movie comes out December 25th, Christmas Day. Uh, it's you know it's uh, Will Smith plays Doctor Ben Amalo. Uh, I know you you've seen the movie. Uh, your thoughts on uh, did they did they cover it did they cover it, did they cover it right and is it is it going to be something that's going to make people stand up and, and think or is it just going to be something that people are going to go to you know go to a movie and say hey it was a good movie and and uh, when's the next Star Wars coming I mean is it going is it going to be an impact impactful I think the movie's going to be impactful uh, they got it right and. Uh... It's gonna be it's it's gonna be impactful. It's gonna get people's attention big time. It will get it will get your attention. I mean, you might figure you know the way Hollywood does films and stuff. It's a little over fabricated, a little uh, overemphasized, but the message is there. Yeah, the message is there. I mean, it just it, it just the study of what this doctor did, this Nigerian doctor who came here, who they ostracized, 
and questioned his study and his practice and how and how he came up with through his findings is amazing. So you'll get the made you'll get the point quick. Benedict Malo is a brilliant doctor. Brilliant. He he's the one that uh, was one of the ones that discovered discovered this through the autopsies and stuff. And and the and the right. NFL really didn't want to have anything to do with them. Is that correct? That's correct. They they discarded. They just they, they they didn't believe his study, you know. And if they did believe the study, you know, it, it, the betrayal in the movie is like you're trying to shut this industry down. And all the models were saying in the movie is the fact that no, I'm just telling you the truth of the consequences of head trauma. Right. That's all it is. You buy into my my study, and it's there. And people did, but it took a while for for it to to get there until you know. Many doctors started believing around the country that this man's work is brilliant. We we hear about players and well-known players, and, and, and I'm going to mention a name that uh, he's played for three teams. He's he's been outstanding ball player, but the rumor is he's had uh, numerous concussions. Wes Welker, um, and he continues, you know, he continues to go out there, and he's a small guy, takes some serious hits. Do. You know what do you say to a guy like that? I mean, you 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 know, as a fan of the game, um, and and a, and a person who's concerned about this type of these types of injuries, what do you say to a guy who's obviously been been rocked many times and, and says I I haven't had hardly any concussions? First of all, if I'm Wes Walker and my advisor, I have him retire. I mean, he's just an accident waiting to happen. Something can happen to him. One shot can determine whether or not he lives. 55 or 65. You see, that's that's how critical it is. Okay, how many? Give me how many more of these shots you have to take to take years off your life, or your good your, your good function functioning of life, quality of life. See, that's the issue. Well, okay, is the money so good? Do you need the money? You got to keep playing. What is? It? I mean, you love the game, but also, do you love your body? And do you love your health? And do you love your family? So that's all I'm saying here. What what what's worth more to you? playing a game on Sunday that can kill you down the road? Or either if you're going to play, you need to take something or supplement or have a barrack chamber to maintain your, your the battle of the collisions with your brain cells dying or your, your proper blood flow to your brain, the back of the head to the front. Okay, what are you going to do? See, they don't have anything for these players to take. It's just concussion protocol. Oh, you got to stay out about it. you got to stay out a week until you pass it again. Well, they got to have no, they have no program other than Dr. Amen. As far as I'm concerned, that can help rejuvenate those brain cells while you're getting them hit. Now, I'm talking from a novice standpoint. Now, right now, they, they can clarify the best. If you talk, interview a doctor, Amen. If you talk to a doctor, Bennett O'Malo, they can build on what I've said from a novice standpoint. But all I know is that I feel much better than I did eight years ago because I've increased my comprehensive, my memories even much better, and I thought I was sharp as a tack. I was dull as a dead nail, but now I'm sharper, and I'm still re- rehabbing my brain. Do you think? And I can tell you, I can tell you that I was flawed based on how I feel now, where I, how I do things now. I know Poppy says, "Oh man, that's hocus pocus." You, you know, you're promoting Bennett on Milo, and you, and, and you're promoting uh, Doctor Amen. Some of these people might think they're wackos or whatever, but let me tell you something. These guys know their stuff, and I'm telling you, I'll, I'll go to my grave thanking these, this man for helping me. 
Do you uh, do you think, uh, you know, we were talking about some of these players that continue to play and stuff like that. One of the things uh, is, you know, when you're playing uh, sports on such a large scale, uh, and there there is a love, you've played, this is a sport you've played since you were a kid, there is a love for the sport, but I think it's also like the fact that the Rolling Stones are still doing tours in their 70s. Uh, there's, something, there's something to be said about walking away from that gratification you get for walking out on that field with 50, 60, 70,000 people cheering for you. And, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're, you're pushing, you're, you're pushing the grocery cart down, the, you know, in the store and, and you're not getting that adulation anymore. Um, I know these guys love the sport. They love the, the money's great. Uh, you know, it, 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 a lot of guys have a tough time retiring. We see fighters go too long. We see ball players play too long. Uh, you know, it, it, because beyond a love for the sport and the money, do you think it's a, it's a fact that, you know, this is going to be the end of all that adulation? Well, you got all that, but still, the bottom line is, I mean, you got another life. I mean, you got to remember, sports is a short-lived life. I mean, in, in the, a lot of these guys in their career, on average, are 25, 25, 28 years old. I mean, it's, it's a short. There's only a few guys like the Tom Brady's and the Peyton Manning's who play 15, 16, you know, make a career out of it. There's only a few guys like that. But in the averages, that guys might last three to five years, and that's it. So even when you get in the game, you got to start preparing for other things to do outside of the game. But if you start getting sustaining serious injury, forget all the adulation. If you can't, if you can't understand the adulation, if you're so knocked out and flog you all the time, that's not going to be fun either. Right. And then psychologically, you start worrying, oh, man, I, I can't get another concussion because it's going to be devastating. They're going to let me play. And you know, they, 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 they might force me out of the game. But that's what's going to happen. you got to realize, I don't care how great the money is. You better, and and, and, I, and I, well, this is what I advocate to guys that get to the National Football League. If you get big money, put something away because it might not last long. And if you, if you happen to be one of these top draft choices, you definitely got to look at that, and you got to start preparing for after the game. If you play one year, 12 years, you bet you better prepare for what's going to be after that. That's why going to school is very important. I know it's tough with pressure, big-time college football going to the National Football League. But at the end of the day, you got to know, and they got to be counseled, hey, this can end any minute. So always have a backup plan, period. And remember, sport as a whole is a short-lived industry. Short-lived, right? You know the 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 Peyton Mannings, the Eli Mansell, they're pretty uh, they're ambassadors of the game of football and national. These guys have made millions of dollars. There's only a few guys like that. We are going to uh, we're going to switch gears here real quick, AD, and then uh, I'm going to jump completely off that. Uh, talk to you about something else, and then move into the uh, to the NCAA. Uh, stuff that we we normally talk about um uh, as you well know i'm a big fan of, of football life uh it's a, you know that show that the nfl network puts on i i wish they'd compensate me for talking about them every week but uh <laughs> I, I uh i saw one recently it was on a uh, coach paul brown and i'm telling you i i didn't know how important this man was to the game uh the fact that the cleveland browns are actually named after him it's just a small part, but let me mention some a few things here that they they say he implemented in the game. Uh, the game wouldn't be what it is today without him. And then I want to get your thoughts. Uh, he was first one to use the forty yard dash as 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 a as a, as a measure uh, measure of uh, 
bringing guys over. He's the first. He created the pocket for the uh, for the quarterback. He was the first person to put a coach up in the in the up in the booth in the stands to kind of look down and, and kind of give a, you know and, and communicate with him on the sidelines. He was the first first one to integrate the sport. He integrated football a year before baseball did so. He said he was the first one to send in plays. He would send in plays through uh, guards. You know, a guard would send in play, and, and another guard would come off. And the next play, guard would pull, take in the next play. He was the first one to put speakers in the helmet. That lasted for a few years. Other owners got upset about it. They stopped it, and 20 years later, now everybody does it. The quarterback has a speaker in, in, in his helmet. The the man basically created what we call modern day football. Uh, I, I you know I, I remember him. I didn't know he was that important to the game until I saw this. This uh, I remember people would say what a great coach he was, and this that, and the other. Uh, Tell me your thoughts. I know you 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 know about him, and I, I you might have uh, I don't know if you ever met him or not. But uh, what are your thoughts about all these things that he contributed to the game? Well, I mean, it was him first. His pop Warner. I mean, he he, he was a definitely innovator in the National Football League in the game, <clears throat> and also I believe that he what he did in the great sports. I think he caught hell for that too. I think it was Marion Motley who who was the first. Black ball player that played for him back in the 40s. I think that's the player. I could be wrong. Uh, but also, the height of the Cleveland Browns, who I think is the greatest runner ever lived, was Jim Brown. Right. And uh, I know him and Jim had their issues. But the bottom line is, that was that that is the heart of the Cleveland Brown organization, was Jim Brown and him. Yeah, he, was in a, yeah, he did develop the pocket, the, the, the coach in the, in, in the booth. And uh, the pocket, the, the 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 play calling with the guards. I mean, and you know, he influenced you know the great Vince Lombardi and all the great ones and stuff. Even uh, even the coach that coached me, who I thought was a, was my the best pro coach I ever had, was the late Tom Fears, who was Hall of Fame with the Rams, who implemented a lot of stuff around with Paul Brown's thinking. So, yeah, what she said is absolutely right, and he he was a pioneer, and he gets credit for a lot of that. I think a lot of people uh, tend to forgot about the fact of what he, the contributions he made to the to football. But I just say based on the combination of him and Jim Brown and what Jim Brown stood for is what what really took him to the level of, of greatness. It, 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 you're right. They, they, it's interesting that they, they said that they did. They, they covered that. They had their issues, but they, re, they had respect for each other. And right. I think they said the reason the, 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 the issues he had was, you know, uh, you know, they said Jim was stubborn. Uh, you know, you got you to gotta talk to Jim a certain way, and, and Jim and, and Paul was stubborn, and, and they kind of had a kind of thing. But they did have a mutual respect for each other. Matter of fact, Jim was actually inside the doc. He talked inside the, very highly of Paul Brown in the documentary. Um it's it's interesting. Uh, one of the things they said that Branch Ritchie said. He said, you know, if if uh, Paul Brown can have you know in, you know in blacks in the NFL actually bumping up against each other, why can't we have them in baseball where they, it's a non-contact sport? So, uh, you know, basically uh, the the inference was, you know, if not for uh, Paul Brown integrating football at the time he did, the the, the Dodgers might not have uh, integrated baseball at the time they did. So it's uh, the, the little. See, Go ahead. Look, in, in my opinion about all those, that, that's a very sensitive spot to me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I remember I told a reporter years ago, I think in the early 70s, I said, look, I didn't acknowledge anything sports. And I'm a young kid talking this way. 
I didn't acknowledge anybody, any American sport, because it was not integrated. I didn't respect anything. Okay, when I when the Marion Mollies, the Jim Browns, the Jackie Robinsons, you know, the, the Don Newcombs and the Josh Gibsons, I mean, those guys who, well, I don't know, Josh didn't get to play because, but, but he should have played in the major league. Th- those guys changed the game. Okay, they changed the game. Period. And I never acknowledged that until. It was it was integrated. And I was a young kid. I was a nine, and I always wondered when I was a little boy, well, how come we don't have none of, none of us playing? So I, I always felt that you know when when that happened, that was a change. And, it, and Paul Brown and Rick and the Dodgers didn't do what they did. The game might be different today, right? Because that might have lasted another ten, fifteen years in this country. So the, to me, that's a dark period. That's a dark time in in, in, in American sports history. The fact that we weren't integrated, so that see that's that's been a that's been a that's been a census spot for me as a former athlete. That, that that I was born in an era where it was still segregated. It was a quota system. You can only play certain positions. And the fact that the great Jim Brown, who was able to knock walls down for me and everybody else, and Jackie Robinson, is amazing. So so the fact that that those two gentlemen. Ricky and, uh, and and Brown integrated the, the, the two sports. I take my hat off to him. That means if he would, if they integrated the sports, they were thinking about that years before that. But they knew the public pressure of integration. It wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. They they realized that certain white ball players wouldn't play with blacks because of of that. Right. And even then, they tried to fight the Jackie Robinson early the, the early pioneers. Of integration, they didn't want to do it. They said, Look, "If you want us to play with them, let's just let's play with them on off season or on a Saturday or somewhere nobody's watching." <laughs> That's what used to happen, right? No, but I take my hat off to them doing that. And for all these young, if anybody's listening to me on this radio, you young blacks are playing in sport and every whatever it is, is guys like that why you're doing what you're doing today. And I and I was part of the stream of of the pioneers. Why you're doing this today? Starting off these other people I mentioned, and don't forget that that's your history, that's your legacy. And see, the thing is with these guys today, they don't believe and understand the legacy of what these guys laid out, laid the tracks out for for me and these guys playing today. So my hat goes off to Mr. Brown and and uh, and everybody else who, who tried to. And, and and I've even heard stories that he wanted them back in the in the in the forties. And and he wanted and well, I understand some of that he wanted half the team to be black. Yeah. <laughs> he was he was he was looking he was looking to, to make some changes there and then put the best people on 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 the field that he could. That's what was right. the goal. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> let's uh, as we wrap things up, AD. Let's let's move over to the to the NCAA. Uh, man, you and I have been talking about this all year. I think you, me, and Tebow uh, talked right. about it last 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 season. Uh, this this whole playoff system. We're, we're looking at a. Let's, let's start with the Pac-12. We're looking at a situation that you called a while back. Uh, you're going to have a, a conference champion that's not going to even have a, a a glimmer of hope to play in the playoff system. Uh, you know, you you got teams five and five. I believe the some of the records uh, that are that are looking at playing for championship uh, for different conferences. Uh, you got teams that were, were were totally in the top ten at the beginning of the season, and this happens every year. But they are nowhere to be seen uh, now. Uh, what are your thoughts starting with the Pac-12? 
all, first of all, the Pac-12. I said it was up for grabs anyway. I think it was, you know, I thought it was like I said it was flaky players in here, but I said it's anybody's game any given weekend. But now we came to the conclusion that you know, some of the other broadcasts we've had is that the whole country's like that now. Ohio State faltered, but I'm, I still think Ohio State is one of the teams to beat. Early, early on, Alabama had the same situation. Now they're back up in the top four. But I'm saying with and the I, Pac-12. And Ohio, State, and Ohio State's at eight. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, so, I'm, so I'm just saying you, they, they can win the Big Ten. They can win, they, they can win the Big Ten championship. They might not be in the playoffs either. Mm-hmm. Now here's the FC and UCLA playing for the Southern Division to play the winner of the Northern Division, the Pac-12. And whoever wins that the Pac, the Pac-12 Conference Championship, they're not going to the playoffs. No. That's that, that's my point. The point is, with all the major conferences need to be seated up, use the bowl games, whatever kind of the bowl game, you start that the, the serious run for the national championship. Well, you're going to have a team. You have you have you have championship championship conference won't be in the playoffs. There's something wrong with that picture. Because like I've said, any given weekend, anybody can win. Right. So so it's just like the pros. I mean you got you got you got the NFC East and NFL pro football with five and five teams, and they're gonna be a champion. They're gonna be in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean they're gonna be in the playoffs. <laughs> that is so, true. So, 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 so how come somebody in the SEC, if they had even if, if they had if they had even even records and below par of everybody else in the country, and they got to ch- say like LSU won- wins the championship in the SEC. Well, based on their system, they won't be in the playoffs. Wow. And that's it. And now, now you got Notre Dame, who's an independent, who's ranked I think three now or four, they whatever it is. Rank, uh, uh, Notre Dame is ranked number four, I believe. Uh, well, and no, 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 Notre no, no, Dame, no. They're number six. Number six. Okay, number six. Okay, well they got a shot getting in, but they, they got to get some help. But the bottom line is, if they get in under the current system, not only what they're going to do what happened when they played against Alabama, from a financial standpoint, they're going to make more money in buying the country. Maybe because they got an independent contract with NBC. That all goes to them because they're independent. Right. If, they, if they go to the national championship game, they're going to take all that money too. I take my hands off. They're pretty smart. <laughs> under, this current system, under this current system, I would keep it that way. But I think eventually... I don't know if, this, if, if, if if I'm accurate or not, but I believe that if if, if the system changes, that Notre Dame's going to be forced to join the conference in order to participate in uh, the national championship run. But like I said, in my opinion, and I could, and I know many other people, the system's definitely flawed. You're going to have a major conference like the Pac-12 not in the playoffs. That's crazy. They are, and then and then and check this, and then. You can have two teams in the top four from the same conference. See, the committee's trying to keep that out. See, they don't want two teams from the same conference playing for the national championship. Didn't that happen with FC, uh, uh, LSU and Alabama one year? I believe so. What's wrong with that picture? Two teams from the SEC playing for the national championship? That should be a conference championship. Right. So that's the reason why, you know, you, you can put up the system you want. It's interesting. But the because bottom line is, it's got it's got to be fair equity across the board, right? And basically, the only the top four teams are the ones that really matter, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, just four teams. It should be four teams. Yeah, 
it should be elimination just like anything else. If you if, if, if your number one sport in, in America in college football is football, you should make it viable for everybody to enjoy it. If, if this is the free enterprise system, capitalism, capitalism and stuff, you should want to want to make as much money for your bang as you want. Have the Nikes of the world, you know, be a major uh, sponsor. But they already got the teams anyway. And just have a full-fledged playoff. They want it. And if they want it, I know everybody else wants it. Yeah. I know every coach wants it. They might not <laughs> They might not admit it, and, they, and they're trying to be politically correct. But I can put them all behind doors and say, how would you guys like to have a full-fledged playoff? So I guess everyone would raise their hand. Oh, anybody absolutely. against that? Absolutely. Anybody against that? The, and, you know, uh, and, I, and I believe it's going to be a lot of talk pushing this issue based on what, I, what I'm saying. I know there's a lot of people that think the way I think. Right. One of the one of the one of the other things is uh, you know this this part of the season is rivalry week. Uh, you know you went to you went to a storied a storied program, man. You went to USC, and this is the the weekend against uh, UCLA. Now you're known for crushing Notre Dame every every time you set foot on, whether it was in the Coliseum or over in uh, South Bend. But uh, what what is this week like uh, leading up to the UCLA game, and what do you expect this this game to be? Uh, between the two teams? Well, first of all, uh, I'm, I'm calling it a toss-up game this week, UCLA-SC. I mean, the way the way USC got stomped against uh, Oregon this past weekend and the way it's been so competitive in the Pac-12 this year, not knowing who's going to win on any given Saturday, uh, it'll be very competitive, but I don't think, like I said, they're not going to the playoffs regardless what they do. Right. And I don't even know. I don't even know what kind of bowl they're going to go to. They might. Well, the winner of that might end up. The winner of that, or the winner of the conference, might end up in a Fiesta Bowl. Who knows? <laughs> or they might end up in a Holiday Bowl, or the Peach Bowl, or the well, Tostito, like that. Tostitos, whatever bowl. Yeah. So, 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 what is the consolation of winning the Pac-12 championship and not knowing if you're going to go to a viable bowl? You get the, the most for your buck. Well, I, I, you if, you win, you, if you win the Pac-12 championship, you're guaranteed the Rose Bowl, right? I don't know what kind of bowl it is this year. I don't know what they're going to They might, they might not. Who are they going to play? They I mean, said remember, if, that's the granddaddy of them all. If the season ended today, Stanford would play in the Rose Bowl versus Michigan State. Yeah, but what, Michigan State? Where's ranked Michigan State ranked? Number five. Okay, well, Michigan State, with a little luck, going to be in the top four. You know what? You got to so get mean, you got to hand it to Michigan State, man. Those guys, they hang around. If they're around in the fourth quarter, they're going to win the game. I mean, they're ten to one, and and they've won a couple games at the last the last second. I mean, they had that one guy dropped a punt or something, and they picked it up and ran it in with no time left. I mean, these guys have they've had last minute heroics all season long. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> that's all fine, but but but. It always comes down to the conference championship and the national championship, and uh, it's just it's just like that's what football is about. But the football is not about that in the Division One football now because yet Michigan. I believe if Ohio State plays Michigan State again, they wipe the ground with them. That's what I believe. I believe if Urban Meyer's team a second shot at you, <laughs> you. You're not getting out of there alive. 
<laughs> but but I'm just, but I, but I'm saying the way the system is, is that's where it's going to happen. And if, and, and if uh, and uh, but I think all the top, but I think all the Big Ten schools are out of the top four too. There's no <clears> Big <throat> Ten school in the top four. Yeah. The only one closest is Michigan State. So you got all these other teams. You got Clemson. Who else? You got Clemson. You got Alabama. You got uh, Oklahoma. And you have who was that? Who else do we have there? Uh, Iowa. 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 Okay, so right now those are the four is going to play. If they maintain what they are, that's your national championship play. Period. That's it. And I believe that it's anybody in the top ten can beat anybody in the top ten. Period. And I believe there's some bodies, it, I believe there's some people in the top fifteen that can beat anybody in the top ten on any given day. So that's all I think. Well, you know, I mean, heck, who knows? You can bring Memphis in here one day, and they can beat anybody in the top <laughs> ten too. You just never know. Right. You just never know. Now, who is expected to think that you take the National Football? I'm gonna make a scenario. You take the NFL. Whoever thought that Pam Pam Newton would be ten and zero at this point in the year? You got, Nobody. You got two. I think two teams left that are ten and zero: the the Patriots and the uh, right Jaguars. Yeah. Yeah, and my point is, whoever thought that Panthers, Panthers. I would be in the top four, right? On whoever thought that Alabama would be number two after being knocked off like that early in the year. Oh, oh, by the way, on top of that, who would ever think Ohio State's number eight after being number one? Based on their pedigree, they, they should have stayed around four anyway, regardless of whether they lost or not. That's how, to me, the system's flawed. So, in other words, you get beat, you drop eight spots. Is that their formula? Because you know everybody's dropped five to eight spots after they get knocked up. You're in the top four or five. Right. You pretty much knock, they pretty much knock you out of the, 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 the top six or seven or eight, or not possibly out of the top ten. I don't understand that. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you, you mentioned something about, the you know, compared to the NFL. Look at the NFL standings. If the season ends right now, New York Giants, as well as the uh, Indianapolis Colts, lead their divisions at 5-5. Five and five. They're going to the playoffs. They're going to the playoffs. Yeah. That's where it should be in college football. Yeah. Especially with the major conference. That's where it should be. I mean, that's the best way you can do to have a complete, serious playoff system. It'll be more exciting. you make more money. And I know you boys like money. But the, so the bottom line is, you know, that's what you should do. That's what you should do, period. If you if, if you win the conference at seven and five, and you're gonna go up against the conference a guy that won was eleven and one or twelve and zero, oh, that's the way it is. Because that, that that seven and five team can beat that ten and one team or that tw- that eleven and zero oh team or that twelve and zero oh team. Right. On any given day, it's been proven. <laughs> I mean, okay, okay. You, now, now, for example, you see what Oregon has done to SC. Nobody expected Oregon to put forty eight points on USC. Oregon to put a 48, 40, 48 points on a USC team? Never in life. But look what happened. You know who expected it? Who, who, who least expected it? USC. Absolutely. <laughs> and on paper, that should have never happened. Right. But it did. That's what I'm talking about. Now, you take you, you, you take Oregon. They, they got, they're running on all cylinders now. they their little system. They can, wipe, they can wipe anybody in the conference now based on how they perform against USC. But that's not going to happen. I don't even know where Oregon's ranked. 
Well, like the, annou- the announcers that were watching were announcing the game. Uh, apparently, Oregon had some stumbles at the beginning of the season, but they uh, they've come on strong since uh, getting their quarterback back right. healthy and stuff like that. Right. You know, they said they would have been, you know, big time into the into the into the mix had they had a absolutely yeah absolutely. So here it is now. They're not going to be able to play for the conference championship because what 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 happened? Right. So I mean, so so I don't know who Stanford's playing this this week. I think they're playing Notre Dame, aren't they? Uh, I believe so. I believe so. Well, so, so 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 that doesn't mean anything. So you can lose to Notre Dame and still play for the conference championship. And as I don't I don't know if they get beat. I don't know who else they play after that. They beat Cal, so I don't know who else they play. Now SC's playing UCLA, and you said you know whoever wins that's going to play for the play for the championship. Yeah, whoever whoever wins between UCLA and USC plays Stanford. Right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And so winners after that, what bowl are you going to? The Cheerio Bowl? <laughs> I mean, where are you going? <laughs> Breakfast the Champion Bowl? I mean <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, where are you going? I mean, are they go are they going to the Rose Bowl? I know the national championship games at the Rose Bowl this year, isn't it? Uh I don't know. I think the Rose Bowl I don't know. No, 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 it's no. not. I don't think it is. It may be. Oh, I don't know. It, it may be. There's but the bottom line, if, between, if, yeah. if they get to the Rose Bowl, whoever wins that, that'll be a great, that, that'll be a great consolation prize, especially after what both schools have gone through up and down. Whoever goes, whoever wins the Pac-12, that will that'll be a good bowl game. Yeah, I think if 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 if, if, if Stanford, Stanford's gone to the Rose Bowl, if they win the Pac-12 championship, I mean, right now they they got the they're in the driver's seat for playing in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. Ad, real quick before we wrap things up, uh, the book "Kickoff Concussion: How the Notre Dame Killer Recovered His Brain" available on Hulu and Amazon. Uh, tell our listeners about about your book, man. Well, the book is uh, the book is great. I mean, I advise people to read the book. It's a great read, and it introduces it basically. You know, it talks about my brain, but it also talks about my life, the ups and downs, and issues, and different things I've done with. Uh, so. Uh, Go read it because uh, I guess I'm the only guy out there really talking about this stuff. I mean, you got some guys around the league, former players, talking about, but I'm I think I'm the, probably the most conscious guy about this. And the people I've worked with, like Dr. Amen, and you know, basically writing the forward to the book. And I just want you to read that to get an introduction, get it going, and then and then you can go online and check Dr. Amen out and what he's done, and look at the NFL brain study that he did. So. It's very interesting, and I advise. And I'm not. I'm not saying this from a pompous, a pompous standpoint. Or you need to go read my book because I'm all of that. I just want you go read it because it's, it's a lot of information on uh, someone who's been through a lot. Excellent. Next week, uh, AD will be our guest, uh, but preceded uh, before AD will be a, uh, Bob Fitzsimmons will be our guest. So we're looking forward to uh, to that next week. AD, thanks a lot as always for okay. for chatting with us, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon, brother. Okay, thank you very much. Absolutely. Bye. The great Anthony Davis, everybody. And uh, if you have anything to do with the, the, the powers that be over at USC, uh, we as we say every time we have AD on, we strongly suggest you do what it takes to get his jersey retired over there and uh, get him into the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. Well-deserving, should be already there. We shouldn't have to say this every week, but uh, apparently uh, we need to. We want to thank you for tuning in to Swoops Row on the Talk Story Radio Network, and uh, we'll see you again next week. And uh, everybody have a wonderful, wonderful holiday and a happy Thanksgiving. And we'll talk to you again soon. Good night, everybody.
The views and opinions expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Talk Story Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors.